it's moving. It's alive. Oh, it's alive. It's alive. It's alive. It's alive. Hello, cassettes, and welcome back to the Black Case Diaries. (laughs) (laughs) Very fitting this month. We're three old friends learning everything we can about movies and TV, and hopefully teaching you in the process. I'm Marcy. I'm Robin. And Adam. Yay. Hopefully. That's a huge hope. Yeah. Yeah. If you already knew all of this. Sorry? Yeah. We often find February to be frightfully boring. It's cold, dark, and lacking in fun holidays. We're looking at you, Valentine's Day. You could be better. Yes. You know you could. (laughs) Step it up, Valentine's Day. Be better. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So we're jazzing this February up with some episodes of horror. Yeah. I slightly take offense. You guys hate enough. Oh, it's Adam's birth month. Oh, I'm sorry. Happy birth month, Adam. Happy birth month. Thanks. Ever since there has been life, there has been fear. It's a constant, a truth, something that unites us all. And when humans gathered together to share their fears, those horrors became stories. Eventually, those stories made their way onto film. Horror is tricky. It's a genre that many people love or hate, with no in-between. Some people write off many films belonging in the genre as low-budget and lacking in worthwhile stories or development. Others will simply say that they prefer not to be scared. (laughs) Adam raising his hand right now. And leave horror unexplored. Although scary movies are popular, they still sit on the fringe of mainstream filmmaking. Horror films rarely win prestigious awards. It's a genre built for the masses, born in counterculture and thriving in social deviance. So today, we're exploring the history of this fascinating film genre. Things might get a little hairy, (laughs) or slimy, or just downright grotesque. So. If you're faint of heart, gather close and remember, it's only a podcast. It's only a podcast. (laughs) I feel like that was directed at me. (laughs) Horror is everywhere, and it has existed as long as human beings have been telling stories. You will find it in ballads, folklore, and mythology. Some of our favorite stories today were once horror stories, but time and technology have dulled the fears of the past. Horror is ever-evolving, and it's shaped by whatever the prevailing fear of the day is. Although it's impossible to pinpoint exactly how it started, it is easy to see who refined the genre and shaped it for the coming generations. Yeah. So there are so many stories that we love that are horror stories. Yeah. But we don't think of them as horror stories because they don't scare us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they weren't meant to scare us. They were meant to scare <laughs> the people long ago. <laughs> yes. So many fairy tales are horror stories. Mm-hmm. Horror is part of one. It's one of the fantastic mm-hmm. genres. And there are so many. And I talk about this a lot when you're not around, Adam. <laughs> but 
But Jurassic Park is a horror movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Adam doesn't like horror, but he loves Jurassic Park. Yeah. Yeah, see, and I think it's because it doesn't really scare you. Yeah, and not that's, anymore. Yeah, and that's the thing. To. Yeah, so it's, you know, we learn to love these stories when they're yeah. not so scary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Familiarity definitely changes it. Yeah. When you know what happens, it exactly. changes how you feel exactly. about it. A lot of the anxiety is gone at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Edgar Allan Poe is considered by many to be the father of horror. He used literary techniques that enhanced the anxiety of the reader, as we were just saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of these was first-person narration which added a layer of realism by drawing the reader into the character's account of the story. These situations are far scarier when we feel like it is happening to us. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's something so simple that you don't even think about. Poe shaped horror literature with stories like The Telltale Heart, a first-person account of a man going mad with guilt. The common themes of guilt and madness give the story a lasting appeal. And it is adapted today by a SpongeBob episode, which is pretty pretty great. (laughs) Because the themes of Poe's works were so universal, he has been adapted more than any other horror author. Yeah. I mean, because you could say that probably because people won't adapt necessarily the whole story, Mm -hmm. but they'll adapt concepts of the story. They'll mention the story. I mean, guys, I was watching an episode of Riverdale (laughs) that- Yeah, adapted the cask of Amontillado, you know, and, uh, and they mentioned yes. Poe in the episode, but it doesn't matter. It's no. still adapting the story. Exactly. And one of the things that he employs in the Telltale Heart that makes it so harrowing is he keeps repeating lines. Mm. And, uh, you know, so it, there's something so unsettling about not just an unreliable narrator, but also... Things not being written perfectly. You know yeah. what I mean? We're, we're so used to perfect grammar and, mm-hmm. right. and sentence structure and yeah. not repeating the same word and, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. And when it's told from a first person and someone's saying the same word a lot, yeah. repeating a phrase over and over again, it feels more real. It feels yeah. like you're talking to just a regular person and it feels so much more personal. Yeah. So it's so much more harrowing. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I think the the line is that... The, the the beating is getting louder and it just mm-hmm. keeps repeating mm-hmm. throughout throughout the story. Ah. Ugh, just Ooh. thinking about it. <laughs> but other authors around the same time also made an impact on the horror we know today. Horror writer Stephen King has cited three novels: Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, Robert Louis Stevenson's Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and Bram Stoker's Dracula as the foundation of horror. These stories are perfect examples of the three types of monster, man-made, self-made, and back from the dead. They all sound horrible. They're awesome. (laughs) They're amazing. (laughs) Moving pictures changed the world. Early filmmakers astounded audiences with the concept. But as time went on, audiences got used to the marvel of the moving image. Not long after viewers were famously cowering at the footage of an oncoming train, they were happily spending time in picture houses, handing over money to see the latest creations from artists like George Millais, Thomas Edison, and the Lumiere brothers. Boy, I wish I could go to a, a moving picture house. <laughs> <right> <laughs> Me now. too. I miss the moving Same. picture house. The shock had worn off, 
and creators could no longer rely on the sheer novelty of movies. So they started using it to tell stories, and some of the most popular stories were the scary ones. Film was remarkable in that it could simulate life, and once audiences got used to that, it was only natural to simulate things beyond life, the fantastic, the unbelievable, and the horrific. Everybody yeah. wants to, you know, we all experience normal life, so it's yeah. like, let's do something that doesn't happen. Yes, yeah. yes. It started with, let's just see normal people, yeah. regular regular like, people. Yeah. Like, I could go outside and do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. Let's just be dancing in front of the mm-hmm. camera. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's just do that. Pictures of video of parks and people on the street and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then people said, okay, this is boring now. <laughs> and filmmakers said, okay, all right. Got you. I got this. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Monsters. <laughs> Horror made its way into movies during the very early days of film history. You see, for many people, just the idea of moving pictures was horrifying. For the first time, they saw real people that were moving and living their lives, but that weren't actually there. They were stuck in some sort of black and white realm without sound or escape. In this sense, every early film was terrifying, and it meant film and horror were a perfect match. That's so interesting to think about, imagining that every movie you see is an instance of a universe where yeah. it's happening in front of you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's there's nothing you can do to affect it. They can't affect you. That kind of... Yeah, and, it, it's... And, it, and it's forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's just doomed to repeat. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. The one of the documentaries that you watched, Marcy, mm-hmm. Kingdom of Shadows. Yes. So a film critic from the time, from the Lumiere brothers' time, went to the picture house and saw just just one of the regular Lumiere shorts. And when he wrote the critique of it, he called it a kingdom of shadows because he thought it was horrifying. Yeah. The, the whole idea was magic to people at mm-hmm. that time. It was like witchcraft. Even though they knew it wasn't witchcraft, but it was just something it's, so yeah. unreal about it. Yeah. Yeah, and so strange. And so just every movie was a horror movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it reminds me of the, I've forgotten the name of the ride. Ghost the Haunted ha- Mansion? Is it just called The Haunted Mansion? I think it is. Anyway, that one. Where you go through and you see all of the projected ghosts in like a ballroom dancing. Yeah. And it's like you, you're seeing that instance in time, but just like this on a screen, but it's like it still feels ghostly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just so strange. Yeah. In a sense, you'd think every person in every film is a ghost. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they are a mark of something that a human being did. Ugh. Oh, man. <laughs> so, oh, so. My. This podcast is about ghosts. Yes, and it's about <laughs> horror movies because every movie is a horror movie. That's right. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how did you get how did you trick I me? Love. Bamboozled. Yep. This is you how thought I... you hated horror oh. and we Hoodwinked. got you to Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Lumiere brothers, two of the most influential film pioneers, made several short spook tales. They were not called horror movies yet. In the 1890s. Spook tales were often created with the same techniques that spirit photographers had been using for a couple of decades, and also drew influences from expressionist paintings. Remember the word expressionist because it has a strong tie to the horror genre. It'll be on the quiz. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That will be on the test. (laughs) 
George Millais, the stage magician turned filmmaker who was renowned for his pioneering visual effects, listen to that episode, please, is credited with the first narrative horror film. It was three minutes long and had a few titles, but we know it as The Haunted Castle. Yeah. Malaise continued to shock audiences with his incredible advances in special effects, making the impossible reality for moviegoers. He created his pieces of art in his special glass studio, employing groundbreaking techniques like stop motion and coloring his film. Yikes. Ah. Yep. I wish I could have been in the theater with the, f- the very first instance of color. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. if it was just a moment, like if they literally mm-hmm. drew something yeah, on the Yeah, that's film usually what color. they would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Like um, like before Wizard of Oz, right, where the whole movie was color, mm-hmm. I'm talking one instance of color and be yeah. like, Whoa! Yeah. It's actually Whoa! really, yeah, it was really cool in college. They would show us lots of, we'd see lots of black and white mm-hmm. movies and stuff. And lots of silent film. And I remember watching one and color was someone shot a gun. Mm. Oh. And they are, it was orange for a second. Ooh. Nice. And I was like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't color at this time. Yeah. <laughs> you told me this was a black and white film. <laughs> yeah, that'd be wild. Yeah, that's, they did that. Mm-hmm. It, they would only be in little bits. Emphasis. Yeah, it was like a special effect. Do you remember Stephen King's trilogy of horror novels mentioned earlier? Adam just talked about it. Uh, I've pushed him on my mind already. Oh, okay. All right, well. <laughs> well, those stories were also some of the first narratives to make it to film as well. In 1908, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde got its first film adaptation, though, like many early films, it has been lost. Oh, man. Yeah. Thomas Edison also got in on the fun and is also credited with some early horror as well even if not intentional. Some will point to his infamous film depicting the electrocution of Topsy the Elephant as another example of early horror. The film was intended to show the dangers of alternating current. This is an example of someone using graphic imagery to instill real-world fears into an audience. It's important to note that Edison also electrocuted other animals for this purpose, though Topsy is the most famous. Yeah, I... Just come on, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's so sad. The shit. Yeah the uh, the reason I said that is because some people will say, well, Topsy was marked for execution anyway. She Mm. had killed three trainers, though one of them was trying to feed her a lit cigarette. Oh my god! I mean, she she was an abused animal. Yes. Like, (laughs) I mean, yeah. And but then, so if people say that, I'm like, yeah, but he also killed. All these other innocent other animals. animals. Yeah. Just to prove a point. Yeah. Like, that wasn't even really true. That wasn't even true. I was yeah. just going to say, yeah, alternating current true. isn't any more dangerous than direct yeah. current. It's the same yeah. It's exactly shit. the same. Yeah. <sighs> Thanks for the light bulb, I guess, kind of. <laughs> somebody <laughs> else would have given else it would've to done us. It. Yes, Nicola you're Tesla right. Yeah, right it would have been fine. In 1910, Edison created the first adaptation of Frankenstein. At this time, there started to be resistance to horror an unfortunate and ultimately predictable response from those that felt it insulted their delicate sensibilities. Because of this, Edison cut the story to fit a 14-minute runtime and published a press release stating that changes to the story were made so the film wouldn't offend audiences. The movie was a commercial failure. 
no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thank goodness. I'm glad he yeah. didn't. Right. Like, I know. Could you imagine if like instead of Disney being a top studio, it was called like Edison Films or something? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Like, wild. Yuck. Right? Yeah. Don't want to be in that timeline. <laughs> Horror as a genre responds to the times. It's ever-evolving, changing to meet the fears of its audience. The history of horror films is a history of the world. But more than that, it's a history of the human response to the events of the world. Much like early horror stories, the earliest films focused on the themes of religion and good versus evil. The word monster even has the Latin root monstrum, which translates to divine warning. Those movies harness the fear of eternal damnation, with monsters committing sins on screen and the heroes using religious talismans to defeat them. Oh, yeah. Those dirty rascals oh, sinning yeah. on screen. Yes. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. Would never. <laughs> Only <laughs> off screen, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Cut. Ooh, finally, oh. go sin a little. Sin time. <laughs> Everybody ready to sin? <laughs> oh my god, that is it. That is what somebody comes out on stage at like a ridiculous, like. I don't even know what kind of show that would be. But yeah. I can imagine somebody coming out and be like, hey, everybody ready to sing tonight? <laughs> yeah. like it's, it's one of those Catholic school assemblies, right? Yeah. yeah oh if my you're gosh. cool, you want to sin with me. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then, and, yeah, and then somebody comes out dressed as Jesus and it's like, or you could come with me and then yeah, know, yeah. So it's this whole and explain. be forgiven for yes. your sins. Yeah. And get bread and fish. Bread <laughs> Like, and wine on occasion. I hate fish. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and wine for free because yes. it was water. <laughs> yeah, wine on occasion because too much is also a sin. Catholic school, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde shows the consequences of interfering with God's design, right? Yep. Yeah. Freaky. Another prominent fear of the time was science, especially since science seemed to interfere with religious ideals. A mad scientist creating a man from the mutilated corpses of other men? That doesn't seem to be in God's plan. I don't uh, think yeah. so. I, maybe. <laughs> I think I missed that part of it. <laughs> yeah. The Bible. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the lost passage yeah. of the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> Another pro- <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I was going to say a reading from the book of Dr. Jekyll. <laughs> <laughs> By the mid-1910s, the world was engaged in a terrible war that wiped out an entire generation of young men. Suddenly, reality became more terrible than anything that a screen magician could make. The so-called war to end all wars was so instrumental in the development of horror films, the aftermath of the conflict is still affecting movies today. In an article for Vice... Seth Ferranti interviews historian W. Scott Poole about the effect the war had on the genre. Ferranti writes, A whole conceptual world died. Certain ideas about the nature of the human being and optimism about the human future became impossible in a world of poison gas, machine guns, and shells that could tear human being in half. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly, horror wasn't so fun. Yeah. When asked why he believes that the war was responsible for modern horror, Poole explains, What I have seen in the writings of veterans, including those who became some of the first horror auteurs, is a desire 
to compulsively relive the trauma over and over again. Horror is a language of trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's well put. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's cool how expressive horror is, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is how I feel. I feel I feel like this guy. The guy <laughs> that's filled with bullets right now and yeah. bleeding out on the ground. That's yeah. how I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the whole the whole year that we just lived through. Yeah. Very <laughs> Oh yeah. Do not you to... know oh my goodness how many movies there are gonna be? I know. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like not that it was war, right? Right. But no. like it's gonna definitely be it's trauma. an influence. Yeah. Yeah, it's trauma and it, it will absolutely influence it's yeah. gonna influence yes. every genre. Yeah, but <laughs> I if I had a guess, I would say they might go more with the mind yeah i think so they're too. they're oh, going yeah. to definitely oh, it won't yeah. probably be as gory and thing like mm-hmm. things like that it will be effect- psychological psychological yeah, exactly a lot of psychological stuff i think oh, no because you know you'll notice there won't be a lot of movies necessarily about disease <laughs> right or mm-hmm. pandemics because you see the time to be afraid of those was before this yes yeah, yeah. and now that we've lived it it's going to be something different. Yes. Yeah. The war introduced new kinds of fear, mutilation, dismemberment, and the ghosts of those that died in horribly tragic ways. Film monsters would have missing limbs, reflecting injuries that many sustained in the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, totally understandable, but dude, that sucks, you yeah. know? Yep. Yeah. Man. You know, you... You fought in a war, you lost your arm, and now you're you know, monsters are depicted to look like you. Not because not because you're a monster, but mm-hmm. because people are afraid of also losing their arms as well. Yeah. Yes. You know? Yeah. Due to a ban on foreign films, the German film industry boomed during and directly after the war. The horror films that came from this period were heavily influenced by German expressionist arts. The sets were abstract, representing emotional themes and the mental state of the characters. Oh, yeah. Mm. I bet they were pretty bizarre. Yeah, (laughs) pretty scary. Very, very. This concept has lasted throughout horror. Have you ever noticed the scenery change in a horror movie based on the mood of a character? Sometimes it even happens when we're afraid in real life, when our senses are heightened. Yes. All the time. Yeah, and so sometimes you'll notice it. it happens a lot in animated scary things. Yeah. Where the scenery tends to change. And a lot of the time it happens with horror movies of maybe not even the scenery, but the angles that they use change, the yeah. lighting changes. So things change to reflect the mood of the person mm-hmm. because then you feel like you are that person. Yes. No. Yes, it's <laughs> like, in, I think my the example I keep thinking of is... Uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad in the in the Disney oh, film. Perfect example. When yeah. he's riding in the he suddenly things are changing. The trees yeah. look like hands and like he said yes. there's like there's the cloud, the hand over the moon mm-hmm. and you know, all of that stuff is looking much creepier because yeah. he's afraid. The German expressionist films of the nineteen twenties featured prominent fears of the time. Mental illness and losing control over your mind or body were more fears caused by the war and the PTSD that soldiers now dealt with. Yeah. 
The cabinet of Dr. Caligari dealt heavily with mental illness, as it deals with a protagonist wrongfully imprisoned in a mental hospital, facing an evil doctor. However, the film is framed in such a way that the audience doesn't know who is sane. This kind of uncertainty gives the audience a feeling of unease, and is a technique still used today as well. Does everyone remember the Leonardo DiCaprio movie, Shutter Island? Yes. I didn't see it. Oh, wow. <laughs> In Shutter Island, <laughs> yes. it, it's very, it's, there's this question of who's sane. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's just very similar vein, mm-hmm. you know? Cool. And, it, it and, and if you think about it, it even draws back to, back to the Telltale Heart, back to an unreliable narrator. And yes. whether or not what you're hearing is the truth. Mm-hmm. Nice. Roger Ebert, in his review of Caligari, said, A case can be made that Caligari was the first true horror film. There had been earlier ghost stories, and the eerie serial phantomas made in 1913 to 1914. But their characters were inhabiting a recognizable world. Caligari creates a mindscape a subjective psychological fantasy. In this world, unspeakable horror becomes possible. It really paved the way and visual style for many other films, including the next film that we're going to talk about. Building on mental illness, the screenwriter for Dr. Caligari famously plagiarized Bram Stoker's Dracula and created the horror classic Nosferatu. Nosferatu! Oh, Nosferatu. <laughs> and the walls will ooze green slime. <laughs> oh wait, they always do that. <laughs> Hashtag SpongeBob. Although the story was completely lifted from Dracula, director F. W. Murnau essentially created the movie Vampire Archetype, and his features have been famously used again and again. Oh yeah. Yeah, the long, <laughs> you mean they used an Arthur oh, yeah. in the Dark? Hey. Yes. That's the, right. The That's long true. fingers, the shadows, mm-hmm. the horrifying, and, and just this, he really, he's really scary because he's just this absence of feeling. You feel like yeah. you can't, mm-hmm. you can't sway yeah. this guy. No. You yeah. couldn't convince this guy not to mm-hmm. kill you, you know? His his skin is so white. He looks, yeah. he just, definitely looks dead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's and he's and I the the lumbering silence, mm-hmm. you know, is just this something about that that's just so scary. Yeah, yeah. W- when we think of Dracula now, we think of the, a very flamboyant version sexual of sexual Dracula too. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's sexy. I mean, he yeah. was supposed to be. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's like, ah, oh, I'm a vampire. <laughs> yes, right. But this version's like, oh god. Yeah, <laughs> like it's over Ooh, before god. you know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, and the. And, and yeah, that was one variance from Dracula was that he was so scary. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, mm-hmm. I saw some sort of documentary about horror movies. I don't know what it was, okay. but they showed scenes from Nosferatu. And I remember being very heavily affected <laughs> yeah. by that. Yeah. I, you know, it, it was just, it was scary. That was scary. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they, because what I saw was death scene. I remember being fascinated by how quickly he melted. You know, he mm-hmm. really kind of, he basically goes into like a pillar of smoke. Yeah. But like, it, it you know, seemed, it was like the light touched him and mm-hmm. it was, it was over. And I loved that because it made me feel safe in the light. 
You know, yeah. it made yeah. me feel like if the light was mm-hmm. on, I was okay. You were good. Yeah. Yeah. This particular film had a heavy dose of realism with some of its scenes, and it reflected fears relating to sex and women. Of course. All the time. Classic. <laughs> Nosferatu also showcased the fear of women in power, of women not being under control. You know, sleep like sleepwalking. Right, which happens in Nosferatu, right? Doesn't she go undergo sleepwalking? Yes, mm-hmm. she does. And also explored disease, since the Spanish flu epidemic was still fresh in everyone's mind. Yes. You know, if I ever found out that I was sleepwalking, if I was like caught myself on a camera or if somebody was telling me, I'd be like, yeah. well, that's it. I'm going to strap myself down for the rest <laughs> of the Like, <laughs> I am scary. not doing that. That's a scary idea. Terrifying. Not just because you could like get into trouble, but like... Mm-hmm. You wake up and there's shit all over the ground. Like you just like yeah. raided your yeah. fridge yeah. unconsciously or something like that. Like yeah. done dealing with that immediately. Yeah. That sounds horrible. Yeah. It's yeah. very scary. The yeah. whole idea. And yeah, there's so much here with women. Mm-hmm. And they, they said that the sleepwalking wasn't really to portray that the woman was vulnerable, but the fears of the man mm-hmm. that that she's just not under the man's control yep. anymore the idea that she could do something outside of his control yes Ugh. how scary is that yes. horrifying am i right <laughs> i know sexual oh, politics of the day believe it. because the sensation of going to the movies felt so much like sleeping dark rooms strange images sleep was a common topic as well Monsters in these movies often strangled people in their sleep, which was effective to an audience seated in the dark. Yeah. It's like something could just come out from under your chair and just... Yeah. (laughs) Many of these films also reflected, again, on sexual politics, like the issues of promiscuity, especially from women. The German film Warning Shadows is about a woman being stalked by shadows, warning her of the consequences of flirting with party guests. Well, how dare she? Wow. (laughs) How dare she have her own life? (laughs) Can't happen. No. No, no. No, of course not. No. (laughs) Gotta get in line. And all the shadows will show up to scare you straight. Yep. Jeez. As German filmmakers immigrated to the U.S., expressionism followed, influencing horror films for decades to come. Oh, yeah. Still today. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we did talk about this German expressionism, so we're going to jump to America. Yay! The cool place. Right? Um, Where we live. Let's let's just say it's where we live. Right. It's where we live. live. And we'll go through a couple of these decades. So we're going to start with the 1920s. Mm, The roaring 20s. The first films of the 1920s showed the truths of the time. These truths showed the doubt that the filmmakers felt towards the sentiment that all men were created equal. The KKK and war were two of the most forthright examples of this inequality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something about horror, too, I think that we don't mention. And we will definitely, definitely talk about more in the second part of this episode. Yeah. But something about horror and horror filmmakers is that they often are activists. They're often Mm -hmm. people that see 
injustice, see horrors, (laughs) Mm -hmm. see bad things that are going on, and kind of build on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Violence is shown in such a way that it's meant to make you feel uneasy. Mm-hmm. And you're mm-hmm. like, I shouldn't like this. Kind of like kind of like those old drug PSAs. Yeah, yeah, but in like a super fun way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the man of a thousand voices, Mel Blanc, but now we can talk about someone many refer to as the man of a thousand faces, Leonidas Lon Chaney. At this time, looks were everything because it was still the time of silent film. Lon mastered disappearing into roles with the help of makeup and physical performance. Since his parents were deaf, he had learned to amplify his emotions through facial expressions and movement. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of clowns. Yeah. yeah. Just something like a clown would do. Mm-hmm. Or a mime, mm-hmm. I guess, as well. You know? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you've seen the, the drama masks, the, the frown and the smile. Right, you know? yeah. Very, very inf- emphasized facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Lon is known as America's first horror movie star, and the monsters that he often played on screen were ordinary men turned outwardly monstrous by cruel fate and inwardly monstrous by cruel actions of humankind. Yes. So the monsters weren't bad guys. No. Really, it was the things that happened to them that turned them into monsters. So who's the monster? Who is the monster and who is the man? Yep. Loss was a fear among this time. It was the loss of family members from the war and the loss of limbs and the loss of alcohol as well due to prohibition. (laughs) Boom! American life was tough at this time and Lon Chaney's outsider personas represented the dark side of life. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I, I was reading about the 20s. And, you know, some people think, because it's called the Roaring Twenties, some people think that it was, like, good and it's fun, like, great. like yeah. a great time. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. No. Nah. 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 Not really. <laughs> <laughs> not at all, actually. No. Two of Lon's movies that survived and are excellent examples of this are the 1923 Hunchback of Notre Dame and the 1925 Phantom of the Opera. These movies also gave rise to the romantic love viewed as what we would call today a beauty and her beast. Not only are these monsters more human because Mm -hmm. they've been treated terribly by other people and by fate, but also now we can see that they're human because they are capable of love. Towards the middle and late 1920s, silent films would begin to become a thing of the past and talkies the new form of cinema. Hey-oh. Yeah. Yay. What a weird name for those. <laughs> Talkies. It's just Talkies. It's weird to think about them as that. <laughs> After facing the horrors of war just before the 1930s, America would be hit hard again, but this time by the stock market crash of 1929. It was then that Franklin D. Roosevelt famously said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Mm. Well, I don't mm. know about that. Yeah. But also, on the topic of talkies, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about that today. It's funny how we call them movies. Right. It's the yeah. same thing. Yeah, they've always oh been God. movies. Because they're just they've moving pictures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We call them movies, talking pictures, talkies. talkies. Ah. Well, then shoot. I, I guess we got it wrong. They should, they yeah. should technically be called talkies, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, or a combination. Talkie movies. Talkie movie. <laughs> Films. 
Let's call them films. 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 We could just call them pictures because some people still call uh, them that. Ah. I, I was mean, in that picture. Yeah. Oh, I've seen that picture. <laughs> so let's move along to the 1930s. Yeah. In the 1930s, horror got a new voice when Todd Browning's Dracula took America by storm. This was the first of the Universal Movie Monsters. It is a perfect example of the types of films that audiences were yearning for. It was quickly followed by Frankenstein, an incredibly successful adaptation of Mary Shelley's work, starring a fairly unknown Boris Karloff. American horror in the 1930s took place in far-off lands and featured supernatural elements. While the horror of the 1920s expressed how people were feeling, the horror of the 1930s served as escapism for a Depression-era audiences. Yeah. So now it's more like a balm instead of just this is how everybody is right now. That's how we're, that's how yeah. we're doing. Yeah. yeah. You know, because people don't want to see movies about how they're doing. Yeah. No. Because everybody they know how knows. they're doing. They it's know. not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, and with this Dracula, this is the Dracula that is more, like we said, this focuses a little bit on sex as well. Yeah. But it's the early 30s, so sex kind of in a fun way. Yeah. You know, and yeah. Dracula, this was kind of like a love, it was like a love story, mm-hmm. but spooky, I yeah. guess. <laughs> because, you know, they, they yeah. kind of build it as both. Mm-hmm. And they did dress him to make him look a little more appealing. I Maybe I'm misremembering, but I feel like there's an image for this movie where you know, the classic thing for, like, old movie posters where it's the guy kind of bending the woman back. Yeah, He's got, like, his suit on or whatever. Yeah. Is that, and I feel like I've seen one where it's Dracula. Mm-hmm. In the, Probably, in the yeah. Case. It's, like, so. With depicted the, like, that same way. The... Yeah. yeah. It's depicted yeah. that same very romantic Hollywood way. But yeah. It's, yeah. But it's Dracula. Yeah, it actually came out on Valentine's Day. Oh. What? Yeah. So there's that. Look at that. <laughs> Get him some chocolates. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. But also, there's this line in Dracula that yeah, I, we were watching the documentary, and it really yeah. stuck with me and Marcy, where they just they just showed a scene from the movie, and he says, "You are too late. My blood now flows through her veins." And it's just <laughs> this the fear of impurity, impurity, yeah, you know, yeah. of a woman no longer being pure oh. and uh, you know what i mean in that and that is something that's so though you can see kind of remnants of it in later movies where mm-hmm. you know a girl has sex and often is killed after afterward yeah the first four years of the 1930s is considered to be the golden age of horror as films produced villains that viewers identified with and created stories that sparked imaginations a combination of the escapism and the novelty of the talking picture skyrocketed horror into the mainstream. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Audiences' mental health had been ravaged by the depression, so this type of horror seemed safer, lacking the grotesque and uneasy sensibilities of the 1920s silent horror. The ability to hear a monster changed everything about how audiences would perceive them and the advent of sound forced filmmakers to reinvent horror. That's yeah. so, you know, it. it's interesting to think about. As somebody who doesn't watch horror stuff, yeah, not very often at least, mm-hmm. I can totally understand how, like, 
not uh, not knowing what something sounds like or what it looks like even yeah would be way scarier yeah. than oh, yeah. than yeah. hearing it because your imagination can come up with the absolute worst things yes yeah right so when it's given to you it's like all right i know it i yeah. know what it is mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. i can now react to it but if you don't know then it's yeah, even it, scarier. It's I love that less is more in pretty much mm-hmm. everything, but in horror, like more so. Yeah, yeah. The idea, I, I think about a lot, one great example that I always think of, it's not a horror movie, but one example that I always think of is The Force Awakens. When mm-hmm. we knew that movie was coming out, we yes. saw all the promos for it. Mm-hmm. And we all saw Kylo Ren with his mask on. Mm-hmm. Right. And I went to see the movie and when he took the mask off, yeah, I desperately wanted him to put it back yes, on. Yes, I totally agree. And that and that was the thing. Like it was just like, oh god, no! The whole the whole idea yeah. of the character changed immediately. Gone. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so the mysterious, like being mysterious, that's really you know that's something that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. We fear the unknown. Mm-hmm. If we don't know something, we're what much more afraid of it. We can only imagine, and yeah. that's far scarier. Yeah, far worse. And. And here's an example that I was just thinking. Imagine, you know, Nosferatu was a silent movie, right? Mm-hmm. And you just see him kind of creeping along yeah. being his creepy self. Imagine <laughs> hearing something if he was like, <sighs> yeah. Or he was like, uh, or something, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Way less scary, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. The silence is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The silence is definitely makes it a lot scarier. On her site, HorrorHistory.com, which we used extensively during our research, so thank yes. you. Karina Wilson says about this time, filmmakers of the time were drawn to the genre that didn't have a name yet. It actually, yeah, it still didn't, wasn't called horror yet. Yeah. <laughs> because of the opportunities these dark tales offered to break taboos, exploring the lurid and sensational, as well as probing deep into sexual and criminal elements of the human psyche. The characters in these movies lived in out-of-the-way and out-of-time places, outside the usual boundaries set by moral conventions or even the laws of physics. On screen, they had the freedom to run amok, flirt, even with the same sex, and consume all manner of illicit potions, use violence to get their way, kill, and, most blasphemy, create new life. It was inevitable someone would come along to spoil the fun. And this would be why horror is thought of often as a counterculture thing, mm-hmm. as a cult thing, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's the people that are outsiders that felt like they were being represented on screen, even as monsters. Yes. Yep. Just being represented and identifying with the situations that these monsters are in or just regular characters are in. But just the the themes, the ideas, you know, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I felt that before. Yeah. yeah. You know, just the validation <laughs> of seeing it. And that's that's one of the reasons why the people that love it, love it mm-hmm. yeah. so much. In 1934, all film changed forever with the introduction of the Hayes Code. Can I get a boo? Boo. I hate the Hayes Code. Boo, boo, boo. (laughs) The code, unsurprisingly, focused some rules at the horror genre, specifically stating that all movie monsters must die by the end of the film. 
This explains why every Disney villain got got. No yeah. way. Yep. Is that Hell really yeah. a rule? <laughs> Dude. What the fuck <laughs> is that about? I can't uh-huh. believe that that was a rule they had to yeah, follow. Yeah, the villain has Get to out die. Of town. Yeah. The moral leaders of America that we talked about in our MPAA episode, please listen, were outraged by this type of entertainment and argued against characters committing heinous acts in an entertaining way. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> people who make movies like this are trying to show people how scary this stuff is and that yeah. you shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, they come in saying, oh, no, don't show people that for entertainment because then they'll want to do it. So missing the complete point of Seriously. <laughs> yeah. what they're doing. There's this debate hits video games a lot mm, right yes, now, especially yes. with all the po- the popularity of shooting games and stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. There's one game that I think nails this idea called Spec Ops The Line. Oh. If anyone's ever heard of that, I think it was on the Xbox. But it is a war game um set in Dubai. But the the game doesn't hold back on like the horrors of it, right? Okay. The a lot of the Call of Duty and stuff like mainstream stuff kind of glorifies it, kind of ups it. It's like, oh, it's fun to be a a you know sniper. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and they don't really show too much of it. Sure, there's like blood when you shoot somebody or whatever, mm-hmm. but that's about it. But yeah. Spec Ops was like, no, no, no. We're gonna show all how this is affecting civilians. We're gonna show how mm-hmm. so, some of the soldiers are losing it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. like games like that. And honestly, for me, every game is not gonna make me want to go do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's like, do you see how bad this is? But yeah. if you didn't show that, it would just be another generic right shooter. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about this a little bit in the haste, in the MPAA episode. Yeah. Because this is a common argument with the, with the whole rating system. You know, a movie that shows too much blood is suddenly rated R. And then a PG-13 movie where many, many, many people die, but there's not a lot of blood. It's PG-13. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you might say, you know, oh, well, I don't want my kid to see the blood. But it's like, yes, but you're also showing your child violence that doesn't have any really much of a consequence. Yeah, no right. consequence. There's... You know, like you killed somebody, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to see the agony that they went through. Mm-hmm. And what's worse, really? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the people that show the blood aren't necessarily grotesque people. Right. <laughs> no. They just, they're trying to show how bad it can yeah, be. Yeah, they're right. showing the ramifications of what has been done. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jurassic, the Jurassic movies skirt that line mm-hmm. very closely. Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys remember in Jurassic World, the assistant woman? Yes. Mm-hmm. I thought that was stupid. It was horrible. Yeah. Right? But Needless. Yeah. Right. But it's like, you know, is it worse, even though there's no blood? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, who knows? I think that, and, and that is, yeah, that's like one of those instances where I'm just like, I just, I hate, I hate the game. Not mm-hmm. the, you know, mm-hmm. not the movie itself. Yep. I, yes. I hate that they have to play by those rules. Yeah. yeah. Because I don't think that. I think that, you know, when they made Jurassic Park even, you know, they would have shown more, Mm -hmm. but they couldn't. Yeah. I mean, the book, for sure. Exactly. Michael Creighton wrote the screenplay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm certain he was like, are you sure we can't? And they were probably like, nah. (laughs) No, you can't. (laughs) Right. Increasing censorship and lack of new ideas caused the American horror film to grow stale as the 1930s marched on. 
Increased anxiety about turmoil in Europe hearkened back to the ghosts of World War I, and the fears of real life began to creep onto the screen. At this time, film's most horrible monsters were human. Mm. Yikes. Yeah. Big, big yikes. Because you think about Frankenstein, I mean, who were the villains of Frankenstein? Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, the idea, you know, for them was, well, Frankenstein himself is the villain because he shouldn't have played God like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he could be a villain and the townspeople could be villains, but the monster had no say. Completely innocent of this. Yeah. 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 And not even vicious by nature. Yeah. Mm -mm. By the end of the 1930s, horror had declined drastically. A long fall from the golden age of Dracula and Frankenstein. The production code even removed lines from previous movies that it deemed too offensive. <gasps> I hate this stuff, man. Yeah, they, they removed a line from, from the original Frankenstein. Oh, my. The early 1940s was a rough time for horror. This shows how detrimental censorship can be to art. When horror wasn't allowed to reflect the times, the art suffered. The 1940s horror started with the mad scientists, villains that seemed just vanilla enough to be not to be too upsetting. Mm. In these types of films, the villain was science, not the scientist. They often seemed like victims of pride, unless an audiences grew tired of learning. Yeah, we get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> these films also introduced more romantic plots in horror movies which was very different from the loveless depictions of sex and promiscuity in the 1920s. Screenwriter Kurt Somak had a Jewish background and fled Germany. He penned the screenplay for The Wolfman, creating a story about someone who feels unwanted and outcast. The story was heavily influenced by his feelings of the war. This, if you guys are... This is a fun little movie tidbit. You guys are fans of the Sandlot movie, The Sandlot. Oh yeah. yeah! This is the movie they're watching when uh-huh. the when the beast breaks through the movie screen when they're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're watching the scene from The Wolfman. Wow! Yes. Nice yes. callback. Yeah, yeah. By 1941, the fear of the looming war was completely realized for Americans, and the memory of the not so distant Great War sat at the forefront of viewers' minds. That had to suck. Yeah. Knowing yeah. war is happening again. Yeah. For this reason, the monsters of the past were given a little bit of a makeover to seem more campy and less horrific. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of movies that are campy in the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the time when war happens, horror would try to keep up in shock value. But this time was different. Some filmmakers realized the immense real fear and horror at the images and video of the Holocaust. Not only could they not compete with that, but they knew their audience had changed. In order to accommodate this, they jived the genre up by releasing more lighthearted horror, where old monsters were made to be just a little bit sillier. An example of this would be The Invisible Man became the invisible agent in 1942. (laughs) (laughs) The most upsetting imagery to come from the 1940s was from the aftermath of the Holocaust. There was absolutely nothing that movies could show audiences that would be nearly as terrifying. 
Hitler's rise and his atrocities rocked the world. No one could come up with something as bad, and no one would want to. No. Right. You know, it, that's just something that... Like, how do you do it? Like, yeah. oh, I'm going to kill twice as many in my movies. Like, yeah. This it, is really happening. You, nobody existed. wants to see that. And yeah. Yeah, people were watching it on the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, because at the time, people were getting news from the movie theater anyway. Mm-hmm. You went to the movie theater and yeah. you saw the newsreel before the movie, movie. started. Yeah. The newsreel was probably far scarier than anything they could ever go see. Yeah. Since World War II was costly, many studios had to approach film with a minimalistic style. This would not only save them money, but also be an artful approach to how films would be made. In the darkest imagery, Americans could imagine their own worst fears come to life. Yeah. I love this because a lot of people, one thing that you often hear is that horror is low budget. Mm-hmm. For several reasons. Yeah. You know, one being that a lot of it's fan-made because mm-hmm. fans love it and fans don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Another reason, though, is because you don't need a big budget. No. To, for something to be scary, mm-hmm. you don't need a big Yeah. Really? Less you know, light. Shadows. Shadow. Yeah, shadows. A light bulb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a closed door. A creaky floor. You yeah. don't really need a lot of things. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just have to toy with people's minds just enough for yeah. them to come up with the scariness themselves. Yeah. yeah. Due to the change in audience for horror, especially with some being toned down, Horror began to be thought of as something for children. It began to trickle into animation. Madness. Yeah. Absolute madness, thinking (laughs) horror is for children. Walt Disney would even dabble in its use with smaller scares. An example of this would be in Pinocchio, when the children are being turned into donkeys. This scene is actually quite harrowing for some children. But for those that enjoyed the scene, it was clear that they would be prone to enjoying more horror. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I remember just how unsettled you feel. Yeah. I do, too. And confused. Yeah. I was so confused as a kid as to why it was a donkey that he was turning into. (laughs) But I was upset about it. You know, it was was hard to watch. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely a lot of Mm -hmm. horror. Yeah. In Disney, and especially when he did like his silly symphonies. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of those were about fairy tales. And he employed such simple tactics that the horror movies all used, like shadows. When in this Pinocchio scene, when they're turning into the donkey, you, you know, you see him grow the ears, but then it focuses on his shadow instead. Mm -hmm. And you see the rest of his transformation through the shadow. So you kind of imagine what's exactly going on because you only see the shadow and it makes it that much more terrifying. It was probably horrifying to look at. So they're just like, let's. Yeah. So the shadow, so the sh- people can imagine how terrible is what it we is. Need. It's yeah. like that at the end of The Lion King mm-hmm. with the hyenas descend on Scar. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's and right. again, it might have made it easier for animation, too. Oh, of course it did. But mm-hmm. it also gave yeah. it that oomph. Exactly. Exactly. Less is more, you mm-hmm. know? And it, yeah, there are so many scary elements in children's movies now. And it is really weird to think of a horror movie as for children. But at this time, they were pretty campy and silly, and the mm-hmm. plots were ridiculous. Yes. Mm-hmm. So adults were like, okay, surely a child would, yeah, would yeah. appreciate this, mm-hmm. would enjoy this. But, and, yeah. And you know, it's funny. Nowadays, we think about 
movies and stories being like quote unquote Disney-fied, mm-hmm. right? Where they take out the worst of it. Yep. But that didn't stop them from putting some of that stuff in there. Yeah. yeah. You could probably find some spooky bits of any of these old Disney movies. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. like the Black Cauldron is right. Yeah. Scary in a lot of ways. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know the scene in Snow White where she's in the woods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Running from the huntsman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's escaping literal murder. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> it's, it's scary. Yes. Same with the little pigs from yeah. the Big Bad Wolf, which apparently. Hitler liked to, to whistle the tune to. Watch that one. Uh, Who's afraid of the big, big bad, bad wolf? wolf. <sighs> Sorry, that was my I hate Hitler side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> Obviously. I don't know if uh, if you read it, but that's that's what that's I was pretty saying. Clear. Yeah. yeah. I think it's mm-hmm. cool that, you know, how they kind of speckle in scary elements into mm-hmm. children's things. And yeah. It's cool when it's fantastic because realism, horror realism, is that's that's something that's a little tougher for a kid to swallow. Yes. Yeah. The history of horror is as long as the history of film. Today we talked about how it went from the outskirts of popularity to the mainstream, and then how it suffered from censorship and lack of ideas. But as years went on, past the 1940s and beyond, Horror continued to evolve. Horror is a genre of outcasts and appeals to the outcast in all of us. As horror evolves still today, it is quite possibly the most studied of all genres because it's such a clear picture of the human experience. This was just part one of our exploration into the realm of the macabre. Don't fear. We have more frightening history on the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That Thank was a you. good one, yeah. Adam. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> one thing I've noticed about horror, watching all these movies now that I was too mm-hmm. afraid to watch as a child yeah, or as a, an adult, yeah. but now I'm watching because I host a podcast about movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, see, all these movies that I watch now, every time... I imagined the movie to be far worse than it actually was. Yes. I, I there isn't yet to be a time when I watched a horror movie and I thought, this is just as scary as I imagined. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They definitely play with my mind, and I've definitely watched some before that made it so I was afraid of things to look mm-hmm. at things. And sometimes it's interesting to me because something that could be seem so mundane can can feel really, really scary. You know, like yeah. I can be scared of something that isn't supposed to be scary necessarily. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. But anyway, hopefully yeah. someday we can do a more extensive episode specifically on the Universal Monsters. Yes. Uh-huh. We didn't really get to talk about them no, so much. We just got to mention them. Yes. So I have the book. So we're going to learn. Prepare. Do that. Monsters. Maybe in October. Monstrum. This has been another case closed. There we go. Yes. Yeah. All right. So nothing weird. Happens. This is just <laughs> yes. The, nothing weird. No, nothing that I cut nothing. out. Nothing. <laughs> nothing monstrous. <laughs> this has been the first installment of our frightening February. So yes. be sure to tune in for more. Yes. Yes. Stay I'd, spooky. Yes. And you can find us, of course, on blackcasediaries.com. But you, we're on every platform, anything you want to listen to us on. Mm-hmm. If you want to sh- email us, we have blackcasediaries right. 
at gmail.com. We are planning to do another briefcase around the campfire. So if you want to email us or DM us yeah. a spooky story for us to read, we will credit you. We're not going to like act like it's ours. No, no. And, you know, that way you can, you know, hang out with us in such a way, you know, feels yeah. like you're with us around the campfire. Yeah, Give you a little great. shout out. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they're not too scary. Scare us. <laughs> yes, especially Adam. Give us your scariest <laughs> tales. Uh, and also, we have another show, No Small Parts. Yes. Please subscribe to it on Anchor if you know, or Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. BCD presents No Small Parts is what it's called. Yes. Yes. And just so you know, the first three episodes of that show will be on this feed that you're yes. listening to right now yes. as a treat. But after that, you must go subscribe to the other feed if you want to keep listening to No Small Parts. Yes. And you're yes. going to want to do that. And the episodes are much shorter than these. Yes. Yeah. If that's an issue for you. And it's audio drama. So, you know. So it's like super fun to listen to. Yeah, yes. it's also fun. There's music, there's sound effects. It, it's atmospheric. There's, yeah, yes. there's drama. And it's all about characters from your favorite movies. But characters you might not have remembered. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So go check it out. Please. And uh, we'll okay. talk at you later. All right. <laughs> Bye. Bye. See ya. Can this be evil, then? <laughs>